It's TV legend Henry Winkler. From Emmy Award-winning actor, author, comedian, producer, and director Henry Winkler comes a deeply thoughtful memoir of the lifelong effects of stardom and the struggle to become whole. Henry launched into prominence as the Fonz and the beloved Happy Days has transcended that role that made him who he is. Brilliant, funny, and widely regarded as the nicest man in Hollywood. It's true, though he would be the first to tell you that it's simply not the case and that he's just grateful to be here. The new book is called Being Henry, where he shares the disheartening truth of his childhood, the difficulties of a life with severe dyslexia, the pressures of a role that takes on a life of his own, and the path forward once your wildest dream seems behind you. Henry has endeared himself to a new generation with roles such as adored shows as Arrested Development, Parks and Recreation, and Barry. And to talk about it all live in the studio is my friend, Henry Winkler. I cannot tell you how great it is to see you in person again. Nice to see you. It's so nice to see you, and I can't... We just flew in from Boston, yeah, got off the plane, had Eggs Benedict. I'm now here at the microphone. Here we are. Here we are. And happy birthday to you. Another Thank year you. around the sun for you. Truly. Yeah. I'm very close to <laughs> now, and uh, you can see I'm very comfortable with it. I... <laughs> I saw you talk to Colbert. asked what year this was. He said it was 2023, which was brilliant, by the way. Keep that. Keep that low. Um, and did I, did Stacy make you a chocolate bundt cake? Uh, no. Okay. Um, uh, that is made by a friend of ours, oh, nice. Ricardo. Uh, he makes a great bundt cake. Stacy usually gets me. There is a bakery in the valley mm-hmm. uh, on Reseda Boulevard, off of Reseda Boulevard, called Bee's Bakery in L.A. <clears throat> One of the best bakeries. Oh, that's great. And uh, I have black and white cookies from there. Oh, nice. Okay. They're great Okay, black and white cookies. And she usually has a cake made of a gigantic black and white cookie. Love and that, that is my cake. That is lovely. That is your chocolate guy. For sure, right? I'm a chocolate guy, but yeah. I'm really enjoying the vanilla side. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. The, thus, the black and white. Um, we were talking on the ride over here, like for most people, when they write a book like this, you did it in nine months. It's like 10 years of therapy, looking back at every facet of your life. And you said, no, it wasn't. No, it, it was not. You know, it was a, um, I felt the pressure of writing and a book that would entertain, and maybe interest. I wrote it with a a wonderful man. Now, I've written 39 children's novels with Lynn Oliver. Mm -hmm. So I knew how to work with a partner. And so I met James Kaplan. uh, And I didn't know that I had to fly him out to L.A., put him up twice, (laughs) and feed him three times a day. Wow. And I want to just say the man is an eater. (laughs) <laughs> he is a he's a big eater. Uh, okay. I mean, there's got to be a dessert. Okay. Oh, all right. Okay. And we talked for I say seventy hours. Wow, wow. And then he just took copious notes, or right. did he? Or did he? And do then f- he recorded. He did. Okay. And then I uh, he molded my stories, and I then uh, deconstructed them. There was uh, there were facts. Or there was a joke, or there were people left out. And so then I just, then he would read back to me what he wrote. And then eventually there is a book and it's now out. 
It's written very clearly in your voice, though. Yeah. And that's what I was telling you. Like, you know, you, you that tell was stories, important. you find connections, you go back to stories. It's it's almost like having a conversation with you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, that's how I felt. Thanks. James Kaplan uh, wrote the ultimate biographies on Sinatra, Irving Berlin. You picked a good guy. Yeah. Oh, and, and yeah. wonderful man. And very thin. No matter how much he eats, he's still thin. <laughs> I don't understand it. I keep letting my pants out. <laughs> It's funny. Um, you write very early on in the book, who was I really? That's always been the big question. And it's taken me 50 years to realize that there was a me inside of me. Yes. Well, that came because I started to talk to a talking doctor, a therapy. Mm -hmm. And uh, I have said this many times, but if I were to give this doctor a gift it would have to be the size of a skyscraper. I so appreciate her. Without saying much, she just kept coaxing me toward answering my own question, finding my true self, which I'm still on the journey of. Mm -hmm. But there was a time when I literally was who I thought I should be. And the, the image just came to me that the bottom of my brain was soldered, uh, you know, uh, shut. You know how uh, um, when, you, when you have coffee or, or tea and you put a little cream in it, mm -hmm. the cream like swirls. Sure. And then all of a sudden the entire cup is filled. My thought though I know them intellectually, never swirled, never got into the rest of my body. And he went living like that for yes. so long. Yes, a long, too long, too damn long. Uh, I, I resent um, how much time I wasted being this kind of uh, artifice. So you almost wish you did that sooner. I wish I could um, do it again. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I guess everybody does, but mm -hmm. I wish I had done it sooner because it would have helped me in every area. I could not have been Gene uh, Cousinot nine years ago. I couldn't have done it with the same texture. Interesting. The more you know about yourself, the more you know about everybody because we are all the same. And uh, I, I'm just grateful. But then looking back and writing the book, too, you talk about Gene. I mean, you, you had so many acting coaches and teachers in your right. life. You know, it was, it was a great way to kind of bring them to the screen, right? And in a few weeks, I'm going to, uh, again, for the third or fourth year, Vulture.com um, has uh, a big festival mm -hmm. in L.A. Mm -hmm. And I hold an acting class. Oh, that's great. And I did it here at Northwestern. Mm -hmm. uh, I've done it at Emerson College where I went. Right, yeah. I, I really enjoy uh, that. Sharing. Sharing what you learned all these and years. And also having the, the young actors taste something that they didn't think of in that scene they're showing me or in the monologue. That I, I won't let them get off the stage until... They literally shift 
um, in the performance. And how you become you and how you become an actor started very early on. I mean, 78th and Broadway. 78th and Broadway. Uh, my heart is in New York. My body is in L.A. Now, I've been there since 1973, right. September 18th. I, 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 I swear that I think of myself as a transient, even though my children are Los Angelinos, my doggies are Los Angelinos, my wife was born and raised there, our whole life is there. Grandkids. Grandkids. Oh, my goodness, my grandkids. But um, oh, they are great. But I always think I'm just going back. I'm just here for it's a minute. And I'm going back to New York. Henry Winkler, the book is being Henry, and there's more with Henry next year on 720 WGN. We're talking to the legendary Henry Winkler. His new book is being Henry, the Fonz, and Beyond. You dig pretty um, deep into the book, even about your parents' background. Your folks yes. came here from Germany, right, at the beginning yes. or about World War II. Yes. They didn't quite understand you. They didn't understand your struggles in school. Can I just, I, I have to say this. Yeah. It's not a matter of not understanding. I really appreciate that they came to another country, learned another language. He started a business here, my father. We, we, you know, we lived above our means. I, I had a, a nice life. Here's what I will not let go of. You have a child. That child comes full blown. That child comes who they are. We have a, uh, a wonderful friend who is a, a pediatric neurosurgeon. And in the beginning, he thought it was 80% nurture, 20% nature. He now knows after all these years of practicing, it is 80% nature and we have a shot at nurturing. They did not see me. They didn't look to see me. They didn't listen. They didn't hear. And I swore I would be a different parent. Um, and you know, your parents just sit right on your tongue waiting to come flying out as soon as you're in a familiar situation with your kid. I would say, I'm sorry. It's not what I meant to say. Not what I, I didn't mean to say it that way. I'm pulling it back. This is what I meant. It's almost interesting that you say that because you're watching your parents before you might even have kids and you're already forming in your brain I might not do that. that I will way. not do that. Yeah. No. And you learn good things and you learn bad things. Yeah. I learned good things out of the house. Uh, and there are some lessons I took with me. Yeah. My father would always say in French, I have no idea if this is right, but that's what I heard. La le musique. The attitude makes the music. Mm. Mm -hmm. yes. And that yes. stuck with me. I saw that. The yeah. attitude. But sometimes when you're looking back at life and you're very honest about it, you know, name calling, being yelled at, being grounded because there was, there was a significant lack of understanding of who you are, who you were and what now, you were doing. I understand with. that there was a significant lack in people knowing about dyslexia right. at that time. For sure. And that's great. I understand that. But you certainly know that something is wrong as opposed to your child being stupid. 
Absolutely. You certainly know there's something wrong aside from your child being lazy. Right. You know, no kid wants to fail. You know what? I'm going to wake up this morning. I'm just going to be an idiot. I think I'm going to fail today. Yeah. I'm going to get a zero on my math exam. Right. That'll make me happy. Yeah. But I think that gave you the fire in your belly. It did. You know, well, that gave me the fire surviving that and also uh, struggling through dyslexia, not knowing what it was um, and then trying to compensate for my lack. uh, That gave me uh, an ability to fight through to get what I wanted. But you went to Emerson. You went to Yale. Yeah, but I went to Emerson by the skin of my teeth. I took geometry in the summer of 1963. If I did not pass it, I would not go to Emerson in Boston, the only college of 28 that I applied to that let me in. Yeah. But I mean, even looking at that, Yale, you know, and, and you said Boston getting kicked out of acting class. You couldn't. You couldn't memorize your lines. Well, I, you know, I was, I thought I could get by on charm. And then uh, when could. I was in the repertory theater at Yale, you know, students got to be in the professional productions uh, in the uh, professional theater at Yale. And uh, my teacher, Elizabeth, uh, came up to me and literally looked me in the eye and said, if you don't stop kidding around, I'm going to punch your teeth out. <laughs> wow. And I thought, oh, I think she's serious. Yeah, yeah, right. Then there was a man, a, a, one of the professional actors, in the Buckeye. We were doing the Buckeye. Very important with uh, um, uh, Andre Gregory was the director. Very long, flowing hair. And um, I was chewing gum. And he was playing the king. And uh, as he walked by me, he stopped. The procession behind him stopped. He walked up to me and in character said, you do not chew gum in the presence of the king. You do not chew gum when I am walking by you. And I swallowed the gum. I'm still trying to digest it. And that was in 1970. But you remember all these people. I do. That made an impact. And it's very clear in your book. It's very clear talking to you over the years about it. But it's very clear that there are just people in your life that you knew took you to a different level. They did. They did. But and then I was open to listening as opposed to being defensive. I could be very defensive. Um, And then I got to the point where this last season of Barry, Bill Hader directed all of them. Mm -hmm. They all went through his typewriter. And they, he had great writers around him. Liz Sarnoff. And, and Bill had a vision. And when he wanted something, he would let you go. But when he wanted something, you didn't say, you know, I have a different approach. And I'm going to, you know, I'm really thinking artistically <laughs> that you mm-hmm. just said... Yes, Bill. I'm going to get as close to what you want as I can. And that's a respect. You were on the other side. You don't producing directly. I was now um, flowering and becoming more complete. When you're more complete, you don't need to fight so hard. 
You can just be. So true. You know? Yeah. Uh, and that I think that is the the umbrella of the book is starting where I I was who I thought I should be and I am now getting to who I am to be, and it, oh, it, it is such a good feeling Henry Winkler the book is being Henry and there's more with Henry next year on 720 WGN we're talking to the legendary Henry Winkler his new book is being Henry the Fonz and beyond you were doing stage, summer stock, uh, improv, doing commercials. Yes. A um, couple of independent films came around. Yes. Crazy Joe. Right. Lords of Flatbush. Yes. Brooklyn, 1950s. Right. Sylvester and Stallone. Sylvester Stallone. I met this beefy, scary guy who talked out of the side of his mouth, you know? He was like, you know, he would look at the, at the people watching us film. He said, I'm going to eat you for breakfast. But inside, he was delicate, articulate, witty, so funny. And he is still um, a, a wonderful acquaintance now. He is. $1,000, eight weeks of work was what that film was. Yeah. And I know you have a great story of Sylvester and Rocky. Because you've remained friends for all these years. Yes. But when Rocky came around, there was a script that came around to you and you gave him some well, advice. He, uh, <clears throat> he finally made it to California. Yeah. He comes to California. His car stops on Sunset Boulevard. He calls me. I'm not doing anything. I go. And there he is with his first wife, Sasha. And they have a bull mastiff. Which this dog takes up the entire back seat. You need a snorkel in order to get into that back seat with all that slobber. I have never <laughs> seen anything quite like it. Okay. And I thought he was going to really like, he was going to have me for lunch, that dog. We unpack the car, we lock it, I take him to the apartment. He settles in, calls me up, he says, I got a script. I take it to ABC. I said, I, now I have a little juice because I'm the Fonz. Yeah, yeah. And so um, at least they will pay attention yeah, yeah. To, a, to a request. And a good thing to do for a friend. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I also know that I'm not, you know, just doing this for friendship. This guy is a talented man. I give them the script. They buy it. I go back to Sylvester. I say, hey, Sly, good news. Here's your money. Bad news, they want another writer. Henry, don't let them do this to me. Don't, I worked on this, I gotta do it, I gotta do my own script. I can't have another writer. I go back to ABC, <laughs> I said, hi everybody, how are you? <laughs> nice to see you. Listen, um, I really need that script back. Here's all the money, I'll just take the script. Well, we don't do that. No, 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 I know you don't. I know you don't do that. But there's always a first time. Yeah. No, we that we bought that script. It's ours now. No, I, we, that is so true. It is yours now. What I would like is to get it back from you, and then it will be Sylvester's now. And finally, they said yes. Oh, yeah. They gave me the script. Yeah. I gave them the money. I gave the script back to Sly. Two years later, Rocky. Yeah. Oh, ABC. Yeah, right? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah.
You had something there. You had something. <laughs> you had something there. Um, back to 73, uh, the the Mary Teller Moore show, the Bob Newhart show. Those were your really first big bounces <clears throat> into television. What I could do, they, the, <clears throat> excuse me, the Mary Tyler Moore show, my first audition. Now, my agent, Joan Scott, who had left New York um, and the New York office was in charge, uh, uh, John Kimball was in charge. Joan came out to L.A. to start a satellite mm-hmm. company, uh, office, I should say. And she, when I first came to L.A., when I, I came right to her office with my suitcase, and she said, uh, don't you want to get a place to live? I said, no. I, I thought you were going to send me on an audition. It doesn't work that way. Mm. You know, it's going to be hard to sell you. It's going to be hard to sell me. Yeah, nobody wants to hear that. Are you joking? That is a 3,000-mile $1,000 mistake I've just made. First audition. I go to CBS Studios in the Valley mm-hmm. where they shot Gunsmoke. Yeah. The Mary Tyler Moore Show, which was the Friends yeah. at the, of that time. Yeah. The producer says, I got one line. I don't have a script yet. I said, that's fine. He has a glass of pencils on his desk. I empty, just, see, I can do in my professional life what I cannot do in my real life. I empty the glass of pencils, pick up a pencil. While he's talking, we're chatting. I clink the glass and say, excuse me, don't bother yourself. If you get a moment, could I have the salt? Could you pass the salt? By the time I got back, to my couch on somebody's right. in, in somebody's room at the Sunset Marquee. Sure. I had the part. <clears throat> and you said they bounced you around because it was MTM. They would use you again. Yes. They were very, very, really wonderful. If they found somebody they liked, they brought me in to be uh, just a voice on the microphone in the airport. Talking about, I think, when, when you know, you're playing, if you're, if you're on flight 1250, yeah, it's gate 32. You have such a thread of gratitude in you because when we, there was a reel that was done for Bob Newhart's birthday and you wished Bob a happy birthday and yes. you thanked him for that role. I did. You did. I did. You remember those things. Uh, I got the Fonz after I did Mary Tyler Moore, yeah. like a week later, my second week in LA. And then they came and they asked me, would you do the Bob Newhart show? And since I had very few lines on Happy Days and I wasn't needed, they allowed me to go and film uh, the Bob Newhart show. Now you say I was 27 years old, a short Jew from New York City with a unibrow and hair down to my shoulders, confidence about next to nothing in my life. The exception was when I was acting, which you just said. But that's when you knew you could soar, when you were acting. Yes. Yeah. I, I somehow whatever came into my mind came out of my mouth and my body. Yeah. Not so living. But I'll tell you a big lesson that I learned is that um you when you're when you're anybody who is listening who wants to be an actor 
and you go in to audition, they don't want you just to fill time and space because most of the time they don't exactly know what they're looking for. So you have to show them through your imagination and your fearlessness. There is no right, there is no wrong. You have a 50-50 shot. You're going to get it? You're not going to get it. Yeah. Why not throw yourself off the precipice and just see if you can fly? And sell it. Yeah. And sell it. Um, it was the second pilot for Happy Days. You didn't do the first. Not many, not. The, not many of the cast members no. did. No. Um, they burned it off. I think it's right. Love American style. Right. Um, you started to audition in a voice that was not yours. You said came alive. There again. I walked in the room and I was overtaken. I just had this thought in my mind and I didn't think twice. There was a man named Pasquale who was reading with me the other lines. I only had six. Yeah, right. And uh, he was standing, I was standing, and he said, are you ready? And out came, do not talk to me that way. As a matter of fact, do not look in me, on my eyes. Do not look directly at me, or you will be sorry. And then I said, now I am ready. And we did the scene. I threw the script up in the air, and I left. And on my birthday, October 30th, 1973, Tom Miller called me and said, would you like to play this guy? And you developed that. You're, I mean, a lot of that. The phrasing, the catchphrasing. You, it, it developed and came out of you based on what you were saying. Yeah, the because the voice freed me. Yeah. You know, Sir Lawrence Olivier, the great actor, would not start a character until he, he took putty, makeup putty, and formed a nose that he thought was the character. And that nose unleashed him. For me, that voice unleashed me. Yeah, it did. It did. And you've kind of taken that through all of your career. Yes. Yeah. You yeah. have. You have. Now, I had a hard time when the Fonz was over. It was very difficult for me to be just a straight man, yeah. just being me, Henry. I was awkward. I was scared. If I, if I did a scene, let us say my dream is to do a scene with Robert De Niro. If I were in a scene with somebody famous, I would be thinking, oh, wow, I'm in a scene with somebody famous. I better be good. I didn't think, oh, just do the job. Yeah. That is not somebody famous. That is another character. Yeah. There I got caught up. I tripped all over myself. Henry Winkler is in studio with us. His new book is Being Henry, and there's more with him next on 720 WGN. Dave Plyer with Henry Winkler in studio. His new book is Being Henry. Happy Days turns 50. Yes. Coming up. Um, American Graffiti, Greece, kind of rocketed to fame. First season, you guys made it to number 16, dropped to the top 30. Um, it was iffy. Whether it was not it was only gonna... iffy, we were almost canceled. Yeah. And Gary Marshall had the brilliant idea to go in front of a live audience. Ron Howard had never done that before. He had been in movies or on television since he was three. He's now 18. Or single cameras. Never had done a play. Yeah. I'm telling you, I, I saw 
wonderfulness. This young man did it in front of a live audience. You would never know he was scared. And it was like a, a duck to water. Well, and they were screaming. The audience was screaming just with your presence walking up to stage or any, and a lot of the other characters too, but yeah. you for sure. Well, um, uh, the, the Fonz was very popular. It was really great. It was a, a wonderful moment in time. You had a windbreaker. That Not, went away. You can't be cool. You can't be cool. <laughs> yeah. uh, Gary Marshall went to ABC and said, you know, if he rides a motorcycle, he could be hyped. Your yeah, Gary. You know, uh, they <laughs> said if when he's with his bike, yeah. he can wear leather. Yeah. And you were a gang all unto yourself. And that's what he was trying to establish there. Right. You didn't need other characters to do no. it. You were a gang all of yourself. Um, cultural phenomenon. You were uh, right off the bat. Uh, you know, uh, went from a supporting player to one of the stars. The success and that visibility came quickly. I assume it was overwhelming. You know, it wasn't overwhelming. It was mostly fun. And the reason it wasn't overwhelming is because, I, if for me anyway, there was an emotional component to dyslexia. I believed that I was less than because everybody said I was stupid. So when people would talk to me about how wonderful the character is, how wonderful they thought I was, they couldn't possibly be talking, talking to me. So I just heard the words, and it went through me like a screen door. This I found interesting, too. You said your parents visited the set, and um, you said it almost seemed like they were finally proud of me. But the truth is I didn't care. It was too late. They weren't proud for me. They were proud of me. Well, they were proud because it enhanced who they were. You know, all of a sudden, they were the co-producers of Henry Winkler. Right. You know, I, I needed them to be the co-producers of Henry Winkler when everything was completely yeah. kablooey. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't need them to be proud of me when I figured out how to be successful. Oh, and they're your parents. And that kind of messes with your head a little bit. Yeah, it does. It does. It it does. does. Yeah. Um, but the joy you came out with with that show and the people that you worked with and met, Ron and, and Mary. Well, they're Ross. all still friends. I just they saw are. Don Most. Yeah. He now lives in Boulder, uh, Colorado, and uh, our children's book, our 39th children's book, yeah. came out like um, 16 days ago, Yeah, uh, Detective Duck. Yeah. And I was on tour for the duck, yeah. and Donnie and his uh, wife Morgan uh, live there in Colorado, yeah. and I got to see them, yeah. uh, and it was great. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, it was wonderful. A lifelong friendship. Yeah, lifelong friendships, yes. But during the time that you were doing, there were struggles, right? I mean, you know, you talked about in the book, uh, which so many great stories in this book, and we're just touching a few of them here. You got a video cassette recorder in 76. Nobody had a video cassette recorder. Right. And three quarter. Yeah. Three quarter, remember. Yeah. So these are the very biggest tapes. Massive. These are professional tapes. Heavy. I got it for Christmas. From ABC. And other people in the cast got a wallet. Yeah. And... I didn't realize that it was not all equal. Yeah. So when I was asked what I got and they stacked it up against, it, it was, oh, we are not as respected. 
then it really hurt a lot of people's Horrible feelings. Horrible feeling, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, they wanted to. They wanted to call. Uh, they wanted to change the name of Happy Days, and I said, "Look, if you're, if I, if I have anything to say, if you're going to listen to me at all, it would be so damaging." I I live because of this family. I am successful because I am in the midst of these incredible people. If you change it to Fonzie's Happy Days, years after we have been on the air and it's been happy days, it would be such a smack in the face. I, I don't think I could live with myself. Best friends, each other's godparents. I mean, yes. the, the close relationships. Yes. But you later say that ABC's rudeness turned Ron into a billion-dollar director. Well, because he left it. He point. finally said, "You know what? I don't. Uh, I don't feel as if I have to come back." And he always wanted to be a director. Yeah, he talked to me over the years about, "Do you think I can do this?" And I, 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 I you knowing Ron, you know, there is nothing he can't do, yeah. except. He did tell me that he did open a drawer in his house and there was a mouse and he just closed the drawer <laughs> and walked away as if nothing had happened. And he let somebody else will take care yeah, of somebody's that. Somebody's got that. Somebody's yeah. got that. I can, I can move a, a, a team of a hundred people making a movie. Yeah. I'm just going to leave the mouse where it is. <laughs> That's great. That's great. But I'll tell you, Gary Marshall kept everyone's head straight. Yes. By playing softball. It was a thing. It humbled you. It humbled everybody a little bit. Well, I didn't play right. sports. Yeah. I have no eye-hand coordination. Right. I have a Labradoodle uh, named Sadie who has mouth-eye coordination like I have never seen in my life. <laughs> she must have been on a soccer team in, previous years, life. in, in a previous yeah. life. But she is a better athlete than I have ever been. We're talking to Henry Winkler. He's in studio. His book is Being Henry, and there's more with Henry next on 720 WGN. Henry Winkler, live in studio. His book is Being Henry. Sherry Parrish, Gary Marshall, had you produced uh, or directed Joni Loves Chachi? was well, one of the that, first things. Uh, Eddie Milkus, yeah. uh, Tom Miller, yeah. and Gary were standing on the street. And they were really intense. And I walked up, and I was, you know, hey, guys, how are you? What's going on? We can't find a director for the last episode of Joni Loves Chachi. I said, I'll do it. They went, okay. I said, I was just kidding. <laughs> I was just joking. If you don't ask, you don't get. Yeah, really, but I really wasn't asking. Yeah. I, I, I just thought I was being flip. And then I got a red sweater. Jerry Paris wore sure a did. red sweater so every well. Friday night yeah. when we filmed Happy Days. <clears throat> and... Um, I got a red sweater, and I that was my first directing job. That's amazing. Amazing. Um, and you directed Memories with, uh, of Me with Billy Crystal, Smoky Mountain Christmas, uh, produced MacGyver, The well, Sure wait, Thing. Wait, uh, Smoky Mountain Christmas. Yeah. I got to direct the, the uh, magnificent Dolly Parton, yeah. who is just so powerful yeah. that, you know, you, you, can't, you, you can't believe it. Yeah. You you feel like you're in a windstorm, and she is this lovely, warm, talented singer, songer, 
musician. She yeah. plays, I think, 97 yeah. instruments. Yeah, yeah. And I love her niece, too. And, and there's so many great stories in this book, and I want to give them all away. Meeting Paul McCartney, the experience with Robin yeah, Williams. Yeah, now, Paul McCartney, do you think he's listening? He might <laughs> Because he gave me his phone number. <laughs> so this is the Henry, the old Henry. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, I meet him in the 70s on the street. On the street, yeah. He says, oh, the phones. <laughs> and I went, oh, my goodness, Paul McCartney. Yeah. He gives me his phone number. Yeah. Let's get together. Yeah. And like an idiot, I call his phone number every 10 minutes for a day, never answers the phone, <laughs> never called me back. So yeah. if he's listening yeah. by any chance, call me. <laughs> I would just like to say hello again. You know, oh, it would great. be it would be fun to like get a, a ham sandwich <laughs> together. You know, a ham sandwich. I love it. Oh, I love it. But uh, the great stories, all great stories in this book. It, but you know. In the end, toward the end of Happy Days, you rejoin Ron Howard in Night Shift. And I will say... Oh, he asked me to be in, him, in the movie. He, first time directing a major motion picture. Yeah. He said, Henry, the crew has been doing it for 25 years. I'm only 25. Are they going to listen to me? I'm, I, and he was really nervous. Mm-hmm. And of course, he is such a a powerful being that when he would stop for a minute and say, let me think about that, everybody just got very quiet and waited for Ron to say what he wanted. He commands respect. He does. He, does, he commanded yeah. respect. Yeah. And then he said, you can play either role. And I thought, well, I've been flamboyant for 10 years, so... Um, Michael Keaton played Billy Blaze, and really, I played Chuck, who in my mind was Richie. It was Ron, yeah, yeah. So I got to play Richie, the uh, the complete opposite of the Fonz in that, oh, I love that movie. Which was brilliant for you to do that. Yeah, it was brilliant, except that people weren't ready for me to be so different. It was like, I should have like gradually moved but now in retrospect looking back i love doing that movie. absolutely loved every inch of it funny funny movie yeah you have a chapter in the book that starts off and it's really focused on your lovely wife stacy that i got to meet yeah. and you know almost 50 years of marriage but it was almost an interview with her in the beginning right. of that chapter of how you met and right. you had said you know i i never saw myself dating someone marrying someone with another kid and you kind of explained that whole story and knocking on the door for the first time oh it's beautiful. my god it's well beautiful. you know i was so crazy about being typecast yeah that i would not call myself fonzie be fonzie be anything fonzie-esque i take stacy out for the very first time we're going to the movies i ring the doorbell and i'll I look down and there is this four-year-old who goes, hi, Fonz. <laughs> and I looked at him in my yeah. Germanic closed way. I said, my name is Henry. Would you like it if I called you Ralph? And he ran away. Didn't quite get what I was saying. And I thought to myself years later, what? 
a moron. Was Stacy anywhere in the vicinity? She was. Oh. Okay. Did you hear about it? I I heard about it um, yesterday. (laughs) And uh, Jed is 52. (laughs) Oh, that's great. That's great. But I love I love that part of the book uh, for sure. It just it just touches everyone personally. And I think that's what you said initially is that's what you wanted people to get out of this book. Well, you know, uh, here it is. If you get being Henry from the Fonz and beyond, I want you to laugh. And I want that I said something in this book. One thing that you go, the reader, you know what? I can use that. Yeah. I can use that in my life. That sounds like I, oh, that makes sense to me. Then I will have done my job. Then I can ride off with my silver bullet like the Long Ranger. And I think for me, and I mentioned to the, in the car, like for me, it was Henry 2.0, 3.0. Like I'm going through things myself where like, oh, I'm wondering what's next. Yeah, but life. you know, that's the, that yeah. is a big lesson yeah. that I learned along the way. When I finished the Fonz, I was not being hired for eight years. No, a little lost. So I became a producer. Yeah. I didn't know how to be a producer. So here it is. You can accomplish anything if you're willing to just be flexible, mm-hmm. to just put one foot in front of the other and try something you don't know you can do. Yeah. And you wind up wow that wasn't as bad as i thought wasn't as hard as i thought now producing is a hard job but i thought i would be able to do nothing and i found what i was good at yeah other people did what they were good at and i and i appreciated them and then and that's how you got the show on the air and you bounce back and you bounce back to you bounce back producing directed but back to acting i remember larry sanders show scream Coach Klein and the Waterboy in a longtime friendship with Adam Sandler. Adam's brilliant, too. See, that's another guy. So personally powerful. Yeah. You know, I say this all the time. It doesn't dress well. But (laughs) you don't mess with him either. You know, but I love him so much. The other night in New York, I was uh, interviewed by um, Ben Stiller. Yeah. And he dialed a number. And held the microphone to his phone. And it didn't go through. And he was a little embarrassed and he put the phone down. A little while later, the phone rang. <laughs> and stage. He put the microphone to the, the phone. And there was this guy talking to me like this. I don't know. <laughs> and I said, are you Jimmy Kimmel's Aunt Chippy? <laughs> He said, no, it's Adam Sandler. <laughs> and Adam Sandler called in to wish me well. I love that. You know, I, oh my gosh, it was a great moment. But, but these veers into such different roles, Arrested Development, Barry Zuckercorn. Yeah. Hysterical. Hysterical, but also written yeah. brilliantly well. Yeah. You know, if it ain't on the page, it ain't on the stage. Dave Plyer with Henry Winkler in studio. His new book is Being Henry. Barry. Brilliant. Barry. Brilliant role for you. Oh, I'm going to miss it so much. I know. I know. You won an Emmy. And you, I just remember you telling me this, you used part of the speech that you intended for Happy Days when you had your butt in that chair. It didn't get off that chair in the Emmys when you were nominated. And then at the end, you Well, if you you listen very closely to the announcer, 
This is Henry Winkler's 1,000th nomination, <laughs> his first win. <laughs> You know, yeah. uh, but it's it's great. I, I finally made it into a necklace. And uh, when I'm not, uh, you know, too embarrassed, I wear it when I'm driving around town. It's, yeah. I, I never am without that Emmy. That People was, say, you know, oh, yeah. it's in the bathroom. <laughs> and I think that they are just full of it. I think so, too. You know what I mean? <laughs> they look at that Emmy and they are really happy. Really proud. Yeah. Yeah, really proud. When you were recognized on the street, yes. you touched so many generations yes. and so many iconic roles you know it's got to be a variety of things people say but to it's you. so gratifying right and it's all warm i am never met with anything but warmth i was met uh on the streets of new york when stacy and i were walking back from the theater by this gang of young people and they uh, backed us up against the building. Mm -hmm. And one said, hold it. Were you the funds? I said, yes, I was. Hey, Rodney, back up. <laughs> Give the man some breathing space. <laughs> Would you like an escort to your hotel, sir? I mean, it just <laughs> turned on a dime. It was amazing. Uh, the gentleman that closed your car door when I picked you up yes. through the window yes. gave you a thumbs up. <laughs> yeah. He did. It was a young kid. Young kid. But look, you can also take all of this wonderful stuff. I now get to be the spokesperson for ICANN. Yes, tell me about that. Yeah, I saw that. Tell me about that. It's amazing. Yeah. So Apelles uh, approached me and my father-in-law was rest his soul was my dentist tall big mustache funny and unbelievable at what he did also loved being in the politics of dentistry mm. he was a an ambassador oh. and traveled all over the country um for dentistry and i literally watched his eyesight deteriorate he had aging macular degeneration yeah. which then can turn into ga which is geographic atrophy and i then get to say go to your eye doctor if you're feeling that your eyesight is like off if straight lines become wavy if there are spots in the picture you're looking at it you can't see a face but you see the body go to your eye doctor and then there is a wonderful website called ga won't wait dot com ga won't wait dot com. you know who called me honest to god two weeks ago dick van dyke no has yeah. aging macular degeneration saw my commercial love that called me up i'm now talking <laughs> to dick van dyke on the phone i love that you're a fan too i love wanting that. <laughs> to know <laughs> yeah, yeah do i know something he doesn't that's great about it can i lead him and i said sir i only i am not a doctor i only play one on tv <laughs> but, but it's nice to use your celebrity to help other it people it is it's important yeah yeah you've done that all your career well especially i i want to say now, in honor of Ed Firstman, my 
father-in-law, my dentist, who was great and treated me as if I, the way I wanted my father to have treated me. Great respect for him for that. Yes, great. The great Henry. And also really pissed me off he was so tall. <laughs> he must have had some of my height. <laughs> Okay, fair enough. You know? Fair enough. The Great Henry Winkler, the book is Being Henry the Fonz and Beyond. What a tremendous read. Great picks that I heard you handpicked. Well, you know, that's the great thing. Yeah. If you don't like uh, reading, there are pictures. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. You know? Yeah. yeah. One of my favorites, uh, aside from the family, is uh, I got to meet Patrick Mahomes. Yes. Yeah. I saw that. And I, saw that. I went on, on the field, yeah. and this behemoth comes running at me with this big smile. Yeah. He said, I have a surprise for you. And he gave me his jersey signed, which I wore in my living room last Super Bowl. That's fabulous. And I know that that is one of the reasons they won. Thank you for all of your time, my friend. What a pleasure. I it's always it. a pleasure always. to chat with you. Thank you, Henry. I appreciate it. The great Henry Winkler. You're listening to 720 WGN.